0: Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Yuzel Hernandez, Michael Sciolen, and El Vlad to discuss adopting DevOps into your company. Before we get into the topic in any more detail, though, we will start off with some introductions to each other. So Yuzel, would you like to kick us off?
1: Sure. Uh, my name is Yuzel uh, Hernandez. Uh, I'm DevOps lead at Herbed Family currently. Uh, I've had uh, a few years of experience in the DevOps area, starting from the ops side uh, on my end uh, as a system administrator and moving little by little into, into DevOps uh, as, as a whole and a bit of cloud engineering. Uh, I'm originally from Mexico, and I've been living here in Sweden for the past uh, four years. Uh, um, yeah, that's basically it.
0: Lovely,
2: nice. Um, And Michael, introduce yourself next. Yes, uh, Mikael Sjölin in Swedish or Michael is perfectly fine. Um, Currently, I'm the QA lead at IF uh, and currently kind of hints at uh, the fact that uh, I go from place to place. I'm a contractor or a consultant and uh, go from assignment to assignment. Uh, I've had a few stints as an employee as well. Uh, More lately at Klarna as uh, team lead for. uh, Performance engineering or continuous reliability as it's called there. Uh, And before that I was. uh, Head of professional services for. Load Impact, the company behind the K6 performance testing tool, and I also was an employee at Framfab during the sort of internet boom days. Uh, Besides that, I've been a consultant for for most of my career, so. uh, Last decade or so, mostly banking, finance, uh, insurance. Uh, Before that, all sorts of lines of businesses. Uh, mostly QA, Q related uh, test management, performance testing, things like that. Before that, uh, development, different kinds of levels, and embedded to web to what have you. Uh, so that's sort of career back, backwards. Uh, and personally, uh, family, wife, kids. Uh, hobbies, uh, and uh, a few other things on the side that we're not going to talk about here today.
0: We'll save that for episode two. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and last but not least, Elle. Hi. Yes,
3: absolutely. Was happy to be here, first of all. My name is Elle Blood. Uh Originally, it's Elena, but uh, I'm originally from Russia. Each single, uh, each second girl in Russia called Elena. So historically, it's diluted to L to distinguish a little bit. Uh, I'm with you of engineering at Aircall, it's the CCAS platform developing company, and uh, I'm an engineer at so I started to work as a developer very early when I was in university. And Progressively I was working in different companies, different industries, also bank and finance was touched there. Uh, I'm not leading the DevOps transformation itself, but historically I was doing this in uh, Electrolux when I was working there as the head of delivery. Uh, for IoT platform. So it's R&D inside of uh, Electrolux and it was easier to go through this transformation there. In the bank, uh, when I was working in Magnalen Bank, which is a Swedish privately-owned bank, uh, there we were also going through this transformation. But at Aircall it's more advanced because it's a product-developing company, here it's more advanced questions which are coming from the DevOps transformation later on.
0: Yeah, that's it from me. Amazing, thank you. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So now that we all know you a bit better, um, we'll get stuck into the questions. So as usual, we'll make our way around the group, asking your questions and sharing your thoughts on our topic of adopting DevOps into your company. Um, so Michael, your question is up first and you asked, how can we integrate half a delivery from a traditional non DevOps organization with the other half of a delivery coming from a greenfield 100% DevOps organization? How do we adapt and how do we build a joint delivery so we can reap the DevOps benefits? So tell us a bit more about your question.
2: Yeah, um, it's uh, very often when we try to change, we talk about transitioning our organizations or moving from a more traditional organization. However, that is formed uh, into a more DevOps oriented organization, uh, and very often not, we, we rarely have the luxury of being completely greenfield and being able to set up everything exactly the way we want. We have all these dependencies and stakeholders and groups and teams and, and expectations on what can be done or not. And also all sorts of uh, old school managerial uh, methods that get imposed. So when we have the opportunity to set up sort of a greenfield team or a greenfield project or a greenfield program, and then we have to sort of align this with this old fashioned organization or old fashioned delivery method or even like an external supplier that comes from some uh, old world pipeline delivery thinking. um, How do we get that? to align how do we meet these people? Should we just degrade our DevOps uh, process to match whatever is coming? Or is there a good way to sort of keep all the DevOps benefits uh, and sort of get the delivery, a joint delivery with the, with the old fashioned, shall I say, waterfall delivery model or whatever method other people are using?
3: Interesting question, I have another question. Is it aspirational or it's the problem which you're trying to solve? I mean, unless it's working right now with certain cadence of established legacy development process, um, how much need do you have actually to integrate it tightly with uh, uh, Greenfield deployment with uh,
2: fully DevOps adopted tech? Well, I I think I've seen it uh... Maybe in the last five assignments I've had as a consultant in different places, uh, some organizations are in some sort of safe transition. And I already hear opponents screaming safe is not agile, Uh, but it's the most common framework, I think, for moving an entire organization into an agile world. Um, And there we have, all these new things happening because big organizations have lots of resources so they can spend money on setting up something brand new and we do everything the cool new way and everything and then we have this organization that's old and they simply can't move that fast because they have all this old legacy stuff to take care of they have to keep operations running day by day otherwise there will be no company so uh, by all rights, they're a bit more important than the new cool thing. The next cool thing we're building. Uh, and I've had this problem uh, coming up over and over again. So, and I see no good method or process or templates or standards of dealing with this. It just seems to deal with the conflicts as they show up. There is no smooth way of doing that.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you like what? like probably like what sizes like when you mentioned half and half but what like what sizes are each of these halves like it's not the same like five developers on each side and 100 developers on each no,
2: side no no they're not equally sized usually the green field is a much smaller uh, because it's like in the 10 15 20 people maybe and then we have the old legacy organization what right? that might be several thousand right so
1: yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah because I I was thinking because for example in that case I would say do the like do the people in the in on the legacy side that you you're calling it like do they see that, that the greenfield side is better like is this is this like an opinion that they have like or, or, not or do they
2: better but more more uh, in the sense that uh not being bogged down or stuck with old stuff that there's nothing wrong with old stuff uh, mm-hmm. believe me right it works it makes money it's uh the current business it's uh it's the real thing right mm-hmm. and uh <clears throat> what is seen is probably the ability to build new stuff it's always much more fun making new stuff than taking care of the old stuff so more of a, uh, it's more joy and fun to build the new <laughs> stuff, rather than yeah. better or worse. There is not as much better or worse. More more fun and less fun.
1: Yeah, no, no, I I, I know the feeling. Uh, I I want to mention just that once I I was in involved in, in something like this in which. The old way of doing things. Uh, this was a healthcare institution. Well, not institution, but healthcare-related services. And the way of doing the deployments and releases was like very, very like a lot of paperwork, a lot of sign-offs, like very, very slow. Like if you wanted to release something, it took weeks. Uh, and obviously, developers hated that, that that it took weeks to to do anything. And one way that uh i remember we were work, working on how to to make them move into the whole automation devops CI/CD thing was that uh, okay we need you to be compliant with this certain lists of if you have a pipeline if it's automated if the release uh, has these uh, certain types of behaviors if you are uh uh, you know, if you have enough tests for for your cases, end-to-end, unit tests, whatever works for you, then we might give you like the sign-off to allow you to release automatically. And that suddenly became like this huge motivation to to development teams to to do, like, okay, if we implement all of these, then we can have much faster, much cleaner. <laughs> without without needing to involve, uh, you know, like signing off with the boss or whatnot. And it started like it worked um, because people wanted to do it like they are the ones that wanted to drive that change. So because they wanted to do it better. So I don't know if something like that could could maybe help in this case.
3: I took notes. So we have basically from my view, we have three topics in one. So one is that Killing the buzzword around the DevOps is like AI right now. Everyone with AI, everyone wants to develop AI. Everything is about AI. No one knows from what end you need to approach it. And this, of course, like everyone wants to not just maintain, but move forward and learn and so on. The second one is the motivation for the team and motivation for the team. One thing when you maintain and not learn and sort of like intersect with the same why this aspiration of let's move to the DevOps like so how are you motivating your team to do meaningful work, to learn, to grow in the same aspect. And the third one already from the leadership perspective, what makes sense for you from a practical standpoint, how you can kick in this transition in the most feasible and small, with small steps, like well-designed process on how to do this. So uh, on aspirational buzzword devops. I think here you have much better insight, so you can you can educate and explain that it's not it's not binary and it's not immediate right so and uh, to to move this needle, it doesn't mean that you will go to the whole and to the right from where you are in the left. You need to have a gradual and try to motivate people also to do it gradually and I absolutely agree with yourself uh, that it's it should be a test coverage first. Because, legacy, like the problem with the legacy is not that it's complex and tangled. not just that. The problem is that no one understands it as a whole. There is no person in the company who can understand end-to-end, and here the grow in the end-to-end uh, uh, test coverage, which will not be perfect, but at least it's a gradual aspiration of how you cover in just one chunk, which is more I don't know, more in demand, or the future roadmap is covering more interaction with particularly this part of the stack, so sort of to chant this elephant and start to approach this from the test coverage, then you can build up the pipeline and motivate and engage people. And on the, as a leader, I think for you, it would be easier to, to uh, drive this story when you made a thorough investigation of where exactly we are putting the best, where are we starting, what is in a high priority and not just from the roadmap perspective but maybe from the ease. So it's always uh, when you are estimating on this matrix what you are prioritizing, you are looking not just on what is more on demand but what is easier to implement, what is smaller so that this proof of concept will set the tone for the future transitions so it's better to start with some success scenario, which is very isolated, less effect, and this would be a good showcase for how you will be doing this. So this is how I was approaching this, at least in, in bank, which is also legacy and greenfield.
2: Just one thing, um, the sort of MVP uh, idea there with a showcase or proof of concept, I think that works uh, well. Uh, Except I have been stuck in places where there actually is no transition. The sort of uh, other half, the legacy parts, they're just going to be there until they're decommissioned. So they're just going to be there another five years and and sort of plod along and have their quarterly deliveries into the delivery plan and that's it. Uh, They're not really interested in transitioning anywhere or having any benefits because they're going to die anyway. So that's sort of more of a sort of people management problem, I think, rather than a organizational or process or method. But uh, I've been stuck in those <laughs> before.
3: Yeah, but it's it's a huge effort to drive this transition, right? So not everything should be moved. As I said, like buzzword engineers would want to do this, but practically, if everyone knows that the life cycle is short for this part of the system. And gradually with all FinTech and all Greenfield industry, like how it's developed, uh, it's moving so fast that at certain point, it would be replaced, right? So why to invest there? It's a question of where, where you find this part of the system, because none of the system is complete and absolutely solving all your problems, right? So here, I think it's very valuable also to, to go into the more business area and try to understand what is the evaluation cycle like? What is procurement working on? What kind of tech we are planning to replace this tech with? And then to, to work backwards from that. What areas, gray areas will not be covered? This is actually how the whole FinOps developed because they know that they will not in one swap replace all banking systems. It's very, very difficult. That is why they're building on the top and sideways that you can combine. But in, I don't know, when we're talking about banks, it's very difficult to say no distance future. But in, in some future, it would be replaced one by one. We just don't have a strong players with a lot of uh, credibility to replace those systems.
2: Well, I, I don't know. I know Deutsche Bank has spent the last five years spending 1 billion euros a year just decommissioning old systems so uh, the big banks absolutely uh, are killing off the old stuff um, by necessity i think they they just simply can't keep it alive anymore so some people are spending money there
1: yeah i guess you could probably say that if like if things are going to be killed in the future or you know that they're going to be killed in the future well first one you make sure that all new things are built with the new model i guess you could call it like the, the greenfield model so that way you are no longer adding on top of your your legacy ways of working uh, but but the other question is is like you like you were both mentioned previously in a, in a way that i i guess if certain things are working what is the effort of moving them like maybe it's too much effort to move them over or maybe there's not enough benefit i would say that it it would it would need there to be like a, an actual pain point for you uh to make you want to move something like it, this deployment is is costing me too much time uh, too many errors too it's costing me actually money because of the errors uh, or my developers really don't want to keep working on this and i'm going to lose them because they are no longer mo- motivated so i want to do something about this problem but maybe you are deploying something in an old-fashioned way but it's not giving you any problems uh you don't really change it that much uh, and whatever changes you do are very like very uh, too few and far between so maybe it's just tackle the problems that actually need to be, uh, to be tackled. And those that are not really problems, maybe given enough time, like you decommission them and they, they no longer are there. If it works, don't fix it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I was working with a, a, CEO, a CEO in my previous company where I was CTO, so he was working with Jan Sandberg, And Jan Sandberg had a phrase about IT. It requires just one man and one dog. Dog not to allow anyone to come, Close to the system and then to feed the dog. So it's very difficult to work in a company with this kind of mentality, I can acknowledge. Uh, but generally, yeah, it should be a good balance about both like what you need to touch and how you need to, if you really believe that this is the innovation, this is the evolution where the company needs to go towards. So then, you need to sell the business case, and from that perspective, you are evaluating exactly how much effort it goes into maintenance, into the deployments, and so on. Because people who are making decisions, they usually are very much data-driven, and from financial perspective, uh, data-driven. So the business case, holistic business case, with a vision from technology side of why we are doing this, I think will we'll help to build up the story. And then, when you have a sponsorship and advocacy from the leadership on this particular part, without like everything, but particular case example, uh, I think it would be easier to change the, to shift the people mentality as well there. But if it's needed, again.
0: Amazing. Lovely. Well, we will go into our second question now, and it is from you, you saw, where you asked, assuming you are in a situation of limited resources for a company or department, be it budget, employee numbers, and or employee hours, what would be your priorities and in what order when adopting DevOps practices into the said company or team? So tell us a bit more about your question.
1: Yeah. Uh, So basically I'm, I'm thinking of this from the point of view of, as uh, i guess uh, a smaller-ish uh, company or, or team uh, not from like a, you know like a very big company with a lot of resources to throw around for innovation and so on but if you were in a situation where you have limited resources because obviously your limited resources are engaged with developing features or developing fixes and so on uh, and assuming that this is a place that has very little in the way of, of like DevOps practices. Uh, how would you go about uh, prioritizing those uh, those practices or, or those uh, new things to add, given that, you know, like you can do all of it at the same time, essentially?
3: Okay, I will try to jump in. <laughs> It's awfully quiet, so someone should do this. So what I found useful previously, when you're talking about tech projects and tech uh, innovation, for example DevOps transformation, it is something internal and usually it's not prioritized. The roadmap would be prioritized, the features would be prioritized because they have a typical business case, you know, that you need to sell stuff and it's about the selling the story. And uh, uh, how I find it, it's very difficult to tell this story when you were thinking about everything. Like, yes, we are on this path of adopting the ops. Yes, we are fighting for reliability and so on. Everyone intuitively in the leadership, they understand that, yes, it's something what you need to do, but it's sort of like your business. F- figure it out. But you don't have resources. So what what is useful here is this. Uh, it's, it resonates a little bit with that what I was saying to Michael about shanking the elephant, find this one proof of concept, and uh, one team who will be pioneering this, set up the uh, group of the people who are really engaged in topic, they can form the guild and they can understand what, what they are doing, select the scope in one project, and then set the QRs for that team who owns this tech. And this guild who is a volunteering to help with small bits and parts. I mean, you you can for something which you love to do and really want to move it forward, you will allocate time. You will find this time. Time not something what we have, something what we borrow. And when you know that you want to borrow, you will figure out the way what you would down prioritizing. So I found this very much niche. Isolated example with some aspiration there uh, to showcase and talk about this a lot with the people, this team, it will increase the popularity and the reward also for this team who's working on this. I found that this is a good motivational point for to move in the small steps and then to sell the story on the uh, showcase. But it's going slow. I can acknowledge it's always going very slow in the beginning.
2: I might have a slightly different take on this. Um, Since we're in a sort of zero budget, zero resource uh, place, uh, almost close to zero at least, um, we might want to bring things in that people think of as DevOps tooling or DevOps tools or If we talk sometimes DevOps gets confused with agile working methods etc and they work very well together but they're not really a necessity for each other but they complement each other very well Um, bring in some tooling I mean like static code analysis put that in a build or a pipeline or even if if you're so old-fashioned you don't have pipelines if, if you build locally put it in a build script or stick it in a make file Put some static code analysis there. There's plenty of free tools. Uh, just get the beginnings in there. Uh, you can have some dynamic analysis in if you have a test environment, some automation. Uh, some of these things that are sort of tooling that people use in DevOps processes, pipelines, etc., And show the benefits of these so you can get the wins very fast. Um, and since I have a sort of a QAI on this, I look only at those things that give, give us sort of better quality in the output product because that's visible to people. You have lesser incidents in production. You can say, yes, we have automated dependency scanning now, which is a really small thing in the whole of everything, but it will take care of a lot of security issues for you in production. And you can do these things and get quick wins uh, without insane amounts of efforts. Uh, and also the same with the very close agile ceremonies like stand-ups. Stand-ups work perfectly well in a strictly waterfall-oriented project. It's insanely useful, but everybody thinks of it as an agile thing. It's not agile. It's a morning meeting, for God's sake. You don't have to make (laughs) it so magical. So uh, it's like you can bring in retros. Retros are great for people. And if you have a really bad organization where where the mood is bad and everybody's angry, turn the retros into sort of whining sessions where you have beer and wine about everything. You can sort of adapt this a little bit. You can bring in some agile pieces here and some uh, tools sets and tooling from that is very commonly used in DevOps. I mean, if you're using old fashioned code repositories, Transition it into Git, or or something where you get a lot of extra stuff for free when you move into Git. Uh, You get the the opportunity to use several different branching models. Don't use branching at all? Okay, let's stop thinking about branching. You can do all these small, small steps. But get an order of priority, which are the easy wins, depending on what people and, and stuff you have and you're working with. So the easy wins, a few easy tools and a few agile ceremonies on top to start building from the bottom. You get some easy wins. I
3: wouldn't say that, Michael, I was was like expecting that it's opposite uh, view, but I wouldn't say that it's different. It's very much, Lisa is the same. Actually, the best innovation And uh, most innovative companies, they are not inventing and innovating the tech and particular features, right? This scope is limited. Like, okay, iPhone was uh, uh, invented once and then everyone is repeating, right? The best gain actually is going on the process innovation. And uh, this is what Michael was saying that this is the process innovation, small bits and pieces adjusted and how they've fallen into the same flow, so that people actually adopt and believe in and continue and to evolve. This brings the whole transformation.
2: Yeah, uh, my impression was that you talked more about the end goal, sort of, where we end up with uh, when we have transition. So, but yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to end this with a sort of a, a not a meme, but almost. <laughs> uh, I think you mentioned it yourself, yourself when you described this, but stay away from innovation, right? Or the difference between leading edge and bleeding edge. If you really want to be on the front lines, you're going to bleed. So yeah. don't do that. Be sane. Be sensible.
1: Yeah, no, yeah I. I... I, I... I actually get that you both are sort of pointing towards the same direction in in that trying to get like buy-in, trying to start somewhere and then get other people to to get into it right like to to make other people find the time either because they like it or because they they want to be part of it or because they actually think it's it's something we're doing uh but yeah, I mean I, I I sort of am agreeing with with that that's that sentiment, that feeling from both of you.
0: Amazing. Nice. Well, we will move on to Elle's question now. And you asked, what tools and methods are you using to smooth relationships during the Jeff Holtz transformation? And how can you grow a culture of ownership and transparency? So tell us a bit more about your question.
3: Okay, so it's, uh, as I said, I'm in a company where we have the ops and we continuously evolve. And so it's not such a struggle to transition one to another. Uh, of course, uh, like any company, we have a legacy and there it's going slower and so on. But uh, one aspect of all of this, how you smoothing out this friction between departments. Despite the fact that we are breaking this wall between development and operations, everyone has opinions. It's a one part of the question, and a lot of frictions uh born from this. And the second one is that uh, with great power you're getting great responsibilities. If everyone has this in their um, authority to change and it's so many players who are changing environment setups and so on, how are you keeping track of the cost? How are you keeping uh, track of the like you can't cover everything right so to build secure guards and everything how you were sort of like Controlling this in a more holistic way. Yeah, uh,
1: it was like three
3: questions. Sorry for yeah. that
1: <laughs> No, but they, they, they sound very interesting. They, they, for the first one, I do have a question uh, about the frictions you mentioned between DevOps and SRE. In What types of frictions do you mean?
3: Um, so here is the thing. When you're giving opportunity for engineers to change and do stuff on mm-hmm. the city behalf, right, they immediately start to feel themselves as an expert. And immediately the opposite side starts to think, you don't know this. So why do you think that you're an expert? And it's sort of like ego at the same time, the prestige of the, the, the profession itself so from that side in the slack you get in these bits and pieces of frustration or sometimes it's a lot more than just in the slack discussion but uh, generally it's like you go in, in someone else's territory and carefully with your dirty boots this kind of stuff
1: yeah i get that it's probably like easier to to follow those type of uh not sure if confrontations is the right word, but yeah, uh, as, as the company gets bigger and, and and lines get drawn around, okay, who owns what, you start having those type of things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, that sounds a bit like on the how to work together towards uh, like a common goal uh, type of answer, like more of a workplace uh, or w- ways of working together more than anything, and it, yeah, like I, I've been in 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 sort of discussions of who owns what uh, type of 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 one part of the technology or the responsibilities or the security or whatnot, like those sorts of discussions. And I'm not sure there is like an answer or I or at least I, I have an answer to that, but I guess it's more about being able to work through those uh, questions with your teams on their understanding that we are all working together towards having the best uh, product service or whatever is it that we're building together uh, more than anything right yeah like trying to take the ego out of it and more about building it together
3: yeah it's more focused on outcome not output and it's it's very weird because people like why we embrace embracing the opposite because we don't want to have this, you doing your job, you I'm doing my job, that it should be blurred out towards the outcome. But feel the feeling is still present sometimes in the team that when something is done uncarefully, you charge in this uncareful act from the perspective of your knowledge. And then somehow you still apply and like I wouldn't do it better. So this
2: kind of protection. I think there's two two ways in here. One is something that popped up during Corona when everybody sort of went home uh, and everybody started working remote. um, And that sort of broke a little bit of the teams, uh, things that came naturally Uh, and there's a lot of, I don't think we have any good ways of managing uh, remote or hybrid workplaces really yet. I think that will mature the next decade or so. Uh, But one of the things that people keep doing in the places I've seen are these ways of working sessions. When you form teams or when you sort of need to reform teams, where you sort of agree on how to resolve dispute and what kinds of dispute and all sorts of things on the ways of working things you do and things you absolutely do not do, which is more important when you're remote or hybrid, but my, my take on this is a bit more conservative. Stick everybody in the same room. They will solve the problem. Um, you can do that with a team. You, of course, cannot do that with an entire company or, or large groups of people, but with a team. You can put them in a room uh, and that will, uh, if they work in the same room, uh, at least three days a week, a lot of these friction problems will will, uh, go away because they will solve the problem by simply raising their voice and asking for help or (laughs) proclaiming that this is shit, who did this? And then somebody will say, no, it's not because I talked like this. So it's much easier to resolve things where you're in the same room and people will behave better when they're in the same room. Uh, people yeah, not you... behave like uh, online jerks, which is very yeah. easy.
3: I think you have spot on there. So when we went on the isolation of Corona, and even after that, it's still not fully on site, and people are still working, remote. they lost this human connection and start stopped to contextualize people with the actual action so they started to look on both sides separately, person is a person, but you're not applying this person on the sections, and that you're reading just slack, and through messaging, and we all know we're like lacking like time, you're answering fast, there is not so much flavors and emotions and so on, and you're always misinterpreting this based on the, how bad day your day was, right? So yeah, off and the more gathering team together even virtually people need to understand who is who not just work operationally we become very operational
2: during corona yeah this is like traditional group dynamics how you form groups how they become efficient etc how you build them and so on and we're not there in an online or remote world I think we still need the group building the team building the working together together as meaning in the same place at the same time uh, which will form bonds and dependencies and relationships where you can actually be more efficient offline because you know how it works you know what to expect you know the, who the people are and what they do so i think we have uh, a long way to go when it comes to this hybrid uh, or remote way of working before we can actually be better at it.
1: I mean, I I'll I'll just add my my small voice of dissent in that. <laughs> I I do think it, it can be done uh, online uh, or remote. Uh, I I don't think forcing the uh, the working on the office is necessary. But you do need to to set up like ways of working within a team. And and in that regard, I I I I was part of a team. Uh, Probably the team I like the most, and shout out to HSI right now in this in here. Uh, but basically, we actually had a set of rules for the team written, and to be part of the team, you had to agree to the entire the written set of rules. And basically, what that what that had as an effect is that you could point to the set of rules and say hey right now you are violating one of these rules like it's it's there we agreed to it and every now and then like every six months or every year we we could uh, try to change them or add or remove or whatever but obviously we all had to to agree to to any changes and eventually that that led us into into you know like corona fully remote and whatnot but we kept working like that and it works for us, and eventually we all moved to fully remote, even after restrictions and whatnot were 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 lifted. And we we kept working really really well. And I and I think it part of it was that sort of thing that there was this agreement of how we all work. We understood how we like to work. Uh, we made it very explicit, as in I don't like to be bothered when I'm I don't know like. Uh, when I'm listening to music and doing this, I don't like to be bothered, so do something else to, to call to meditation, something like that, like, but very explicit about those sorts of things. And you, I don't think you need the office for that, you just need to be very open and very explicit about how, how that works for your team.
3: Yeah, absolutely agree. In my previous company, we had this uh, very, very strong culture developed, and it sort of was this set of rules. And so it was global and company was working remote and before Corona. So because of how it's set up, it was very much distributed. And I saw how well it's working, you don't need to go to office. So Corona was not such an emotional shock for anyone. Okay, some people were isolated because of the country setup, up. And uh, like that uh, we had team in China, it was uh, like for them, it was a horrible, unhuman isolation situation. But uh, in my current workplace, they were very much like used to work in the office. You have a very good connection. You're always at the coffee machine and picking up all uh, threads and uh, you know so much more. And then this was Corona and the whole organization was not prepared because they're not such a clear set of rules and etiquette sort of for the team. And uh, um, even after like, yeah, you're still fully remote, you don't need to come to your office, I'm sitting in the office, uh, but you don't need to come to your office. But, when, when this transition went, everyone was expecting that this will be just working out of the box. But it's never the situation. You need to set up this set of rules. And let's face it, we will never go back to the office and work fully from the office. I don't think that anyone will consider this. So organization need to mature up to live up to this, because now it's not a necessity. Now it's actually the continuity and a long-term strategy
2: just imagine the amount of uh, office rent that can be saved
3: to make a business case there. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: nice. Yeah, that brings us into the, the last part. You said cost control at some point. Um, I know we did a lot of good things when it comes to cloud uh, at uh, a previous place, which I shall not name, um, but because cloud cost can run amok, If you're not careful, you you, it can just drive up costs to insane amounts. Um, And use the tooling. I mean, the cloud providers provide cost control tool sets and use it. Uh, Get clear of the cost, distribute the cost to the teams. If you have an organization where you actually distribute costs, most larger companies actually put the cost somewhere, not just lump sum uh, and make sure the the people are responsible for that actually make a budget and give them targets. I mean where I was before we cut 50% of cloud costs year on year from 21 to 22. And that's uh, I mean, 50%. That's a lot. You don't do that every year. That's a one off, but uh, from going with almost no control to actually implementing control, cut the cloud cost in half. So there's a lot of work that can be done. It's very unsexy to work with cost control, but still. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> needs to be done. We need to have somebody unsexy in every team.
3: Yeah, but it, now now we're entering another area of Phenops, which I was alluding to, and it's another topic for Abby's podcast for the future. <laughs> well attributed infrastructure cost and culture of ownership in the teams.
0: Definitely. Well, I'll take that one on board, Elle, and I'll uh, add that to the list of future topics. (laughs) Um, But nice, we've come to the end um, of your questions. Does anyone have any follow up questions or anything else they want to ask the group? No? All happy? Amazing. Um, Well, we'll leave the podcast there then. This has been another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank you, Michael and Elle, for joining us on this episode and sharing your insights. Um, If you, the listener, would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at Abby.Stokes at evolution nordicscom See you next time.